This is the Future Forward Aarhus podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Aarhus Radio. Hi, I'm Rocio Valderrabano. And I'm Lisa Urebauer. Welcome to the second season of Future Forward Aarhus, where you explore the future with us. Every other week, we bring you the stories of people in Aarhus and central Jutland and their views on the technology, innovation and new ideas that will shape the future. Last episode, we digged into the future of education. Today, we are going to continue with the future of work. Our work of the future will most likely be shaped by automation, artificial intelligence and robotics. Nonetheless, certain factors will still be determined by us humans. Tonight, we'll take a closer look at three different topics to explore our relation to work, now and in the future. For our first segment, we will welcome Ellen Madsen, a student at Aarhus University, who will tell us about her experience as a volunteer coordinator at last year's food festival. After that, we are going to dive into the so-called flexicurity, Denmark's approach to employment and unemployment, which is often discussed as a model for European labor markets. Finally, Lisa is going to explore why, how the way we work is as important as the work we do. You are listening to Future Forward Aarhus on Student Aarhus Radio. One of the core activities in Danish society is volunteering. The tradition dates back to the 19th century, where people started collaborating during the involvement of the Danish Folkehøjskole. Since then, a lot has changed in Denmark, but volunteering is still ingrained in society. Official statistics say that 35% of Danish society do voluntary work. That means that 1.9 million Danes volunteer at least at some point of the year. Often, events are collaborations between public institutions and associations, like last year's food festival. During the first three days of September, around 900 volunteers helped out at the festival, selling food or washing dishes. All of them needed to be coordinated, which was done by Ellen Metzen, a 25-years-old political science student who is today with us at Future Forward Aarhus. Welcome, Ellen, and thanks for being here tonight. Thank you. What specific uh, do you do as a coordinator of 900 people? What were your mm. activities? Um, like, first of all, I had to find all 900 people in Aarhus and uh, thereabout. Um, and then... Like at the festival, I had to um, welcome them to the festival, give them the right information um, and make sure that they knew what to do and where to go if they needed help. And then I went around at the festival, keep making sure that they had their breaks and had a nice time and uh, were appreciated at their job stations. How did you and the other volunteers profit? Um... Well, we didn't get any uh, money for it. It was uh, volunteer work. But we did like, have an amazing weekend at the food festival. Um, we, I, well, for me personally, I got the experience of being in charge of so many people to know that I could handle that uh, form of responsibility. So that was really great, really fun. Um, and yeah, just... Oh, it sounds a bit corny, but uh, <laughs> being part of uh, an Aarhus festival like that, that was, um, that was really amazing, being part of my city like that. 
Do you think it was reasonable that you volunteered as well and did not get like uh, some profitable? If it was uh, reasonable, yeah. Well, uh, for this kind of work, I think it was because it was more for the experience, more for the um, yeah, being part of the festival, being yeah, as I said, um, being part of an event in Aarhus. So. Um, for that kind of work, it was. <laughs> and as a volunteer, is there anything that you enjoy the most? I, it was just a, such a great experience, the whole thing. Like, I I walked around with a smile on my face the, the whole weekend. Um, it was just so much fun because we were all doing this work and creating this festival and uh, the sun was shining and, yeah, it was just a perfect weekend, so... Yeah. Was it the first time that, uh, or it was yes, was it the first time you do a job like this, volunteer yeah. uh, work? Um, no, I have done a lot of uh, volunteer work actually. I, uh, I also um, held out a, a summer school for children, in the age of eight to fourteen, I think, where we did a cooking school, um, and I think it was kind of a. Um, Yeah, you could uh, get your kids to go to this uh, cooking school and then we will be there to take care of them and cook with them. Uh, and then the parents could get a, a day off in the in the summertime. So, and that was really fun as well. Where do you see the value of, volu of volunteer work in comparison to student jobs, for example? Well, it is two completely um, different things, I would say. Um, whereas in um, volunteer jobs, it's more relaxed um maybe more fun because it's such an easy environment um but you still have the responsibility um but and maybe in other student jobs it's more like in a workplace where you have to meet eight to five in a day and uh, you may you don't really i don't think you get as nice jobs as the one volunteering because then you might be sent to the prince or something. But while you, if you do volunteer work, you get the fun jobs because you do it for fun. So they also treat you like they really need you. Well, I think they do that in student jobs as well, but I think it's a two different environments. But perfect. Thank you very much, Alan, for coming tonight with us and speak about your experience as a volunteer in Twitter for Aarhus. Thank you. So, Chio, is volunteer work a thing in Mexico? Yes, uh, it happens also, and uh, you can start pretty early. For example, when you're in high school, sometimes the schools organize some, uh, we call it social service, where you go to some uh, schools or asylums and start uh, working with people that is, uh, somehow don't have the most favorable, con uh, favorable conditions and you can uh, teach a new language or help uh, kids doing their homework. So yeah, and or also when you are working, you can join to a, any kind of association and work with them also. Yeah, it's the same with Germany. And I actually worked, um, like I already started in high school and um, was organizing activities with my, um, with the kids in my neighborhood um, at church because uh, they were offering the facilities and and events and trips for for kids that was that was a great experience and you can start 
yeah, really young, just taking over responsibilities and doing fun stuff. And something that also happens when you volunteer is, is that you have the uh, opportunity if you are with an international organization, for example, to travel somewhere and to know other culture around the world. Yeah, I think it's a great combination of responsibilities, work, and at the same time, appreciation and fun. You are listening to Future Forward Aarhus on Studenter Who's Radio. One aspect which will continue to follow us in the future of work is the risk of unemployment. In Denmark, the approach to hiring and firing is known as the Danish model, which has already found recognition by the European Commission in 2007. Our reporter Sui Chen has taken a closer look on what it means. When talking about the Danish labor market, people often use the word flexicurity to describe the successful response to the challenges of globalization and the achievement in securing the stable growth and the employment of the economy. According to Denmark.dk, the official website of Denmark, studies show that the Danes are positive about globalization and do not fear losing their jobs. Rather, they seek opportunities for new and better jobs. This is partly ascribed to the flexicurity model, which promotes adaptability of employees and also enterprises. Christian Luna Ibsen, Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology of University of Copenhagen, illustrated that flexicurity is a combination of flexibility and security. Uh, flexicurity is a model that balances security, social security, with flexibility of labor markets, meaning that it It is easy to hire and fire people, but there's also social security between trans transitions of job to job and unemployment to job. The term of flex security was first created by the Social Democratic Prime Minister of Denmark, Paul Neurup Rasmussen, in the 1990s. At that time, Danish policymaker established a physical policy aimed at breaking the unemployment trend and was further coupled to the first active labor market policy of 1994, which sought to reduce structural unemployment. Well, it's a balance, so there has to be a balance. So that means that you constantly have to reform the system to make sure that new structural changes in labor markets are taken care of. For example, could be reforms of unemployment benefits to make sure that people are motivated to take jobs. When doing this journalistic piece, I found someone questioning about flex security by saying like, oh man, you guys think it's the best system, but it's basically just hire and fire, and then the state has to pay the workers. But obviously, flex security is not just that. The government of Denmark views flex security as entailing a golden triangle. One side of the triangle is the flexible rules for hiring and firing which make it easy for the employers to dismiss employees during the downturns and hire new staff when things improve. About 25% of Danish private sector workers change jobs each year. The second side of the triangle is the unemployment security in the form of a guarantee for a legally specified unemployment benefit at a relatively high level, up to 90% for the lowest paid workers. 
The third side of the triangle is active labor market policy. An effective system is in place to offer guidance, a job, or education to all unemployed. Denmark spends about 1.5 percent of its GDP on active labor market policy. One crucial question about flex security is that government willingness is not always working in terms of economic policies. Hence, whether or not the job-seeking guidance provided by the government is effective, Professor Andrew Scott in Politics and Policy at Deakin University in Melbourne has studied the flex security for years. Now let's have a listen about his opinion. Well, I mean, the first thing is that Denmark does seriously retrain. They put money into、uh, skills development of people who lose one particular job. So when shipbuilding centres close, they they put money into retraining those workers for for new opportunities. So it's important to invest in retraining. Yes, sometimes retraining might not lead somewhere, but the costs of not retraining are actually greater because the workforce participation rates fall. And when people aren't participating in the workforce, they're not paying taxes, they're not contributing to revenue, and the entire economy suffers. In Denmark, part of the retraining approach through flex security is case management of individuals. So attention to individuals' abilities and likely future areas of contribution. So. You're less likely to make mistakes in training if you actually audit people's skills, talk to them one-on-one -on -one as much as possible, and find out what they they're good at and what they want to do, and steer them in those directions. But this does not necessarily mean the flex security model is perfect," said Professor Christian Luna Ibsen. I think the model has delivered, but I also think that it has to be constantly updated、uh, to make sure that new challenges, such as、uh, the financial crisis that we have recently, but also digitalization of work and employment, are taken care of by by these reforms. You are listening to Future Forward Orhus on Studenterhus Radio. Working hard for money as Donna Summer's well-known song says, it's something we may have experienced once. High levels of stress, especially when family, friends, and work want to be combined, occur to all of us. And as our interview partner Aaron Metzger said during our last episode, you can only burn out if you burn for something. One who deals heads on with the way we live our lives is Patrick Boogie. Lisa has talked to him about his company, Mindful Ambition. Imagine this. You wake up fresh and relaxed in the morning, way before you actually have to go to work. You begin your day with a nurturing breakfast, a cup of freshly brewed coffee, and enough time to set your goals for the day. Do some workout and take a refreshing shower. An ideal way to start your day off, isn't it? Most of the time, though, reality looks different, and you have hit your snooze button yet another time. Patrick Buggy from Minneapolis in the states. Aims to help people establish these routines. How can we live better lives?、Uh, how can we show up in the world at our best every day? Those are questions driving Patrick. With a degree in business and design, he has founded his own company, Mindful Ambition. And there's this really important tension there in the name Mindful Ambition, which,、uh, you know, yes, it is about pursuing our ambitions and the things that 
we want to create in life and, and the goals that we have, um, but how we actually go about pursuing them, that's what makes all of the difference. Mindfulness is a state of being where you maintain a non-judgmental awareness in the present moment. So much of our societal narratives around what it means to do good work um, or to achieve goals or to grow or to do new things is, is so focused on this notion of to get farther, you need to do more. You need to work harder, put in more hours, connect with more people. More, 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 more. Um, and, and what we see, what we come to realize is that that's just not the most effective way to make progress. Patrick doesn't neglect that there are advantages for hard work. Yet in his opinion, the question how we are doing things matters just as much as the question what we are doing. I think that's where a lot of traditional workplaces miss the mark slightly is they are paying so much attention to the what, like what you are doing, how many hours you're working, those things that are really easily trackable, um, which you know makes sense because businesses need to be able to track metrics and things they can measure. But uh, some of the more intangible things around the how you are going about your work and the why you are going about your work, that's what I think leads from or, or separates someone who's just doing a job and doing it well um, with someone who is really connected with their work. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? With his work at Mindful Ambition, Patrick wants to put these ideals to reality. He offers free online resources, teaches people one-on-one, -on -one, and consults with companies and their employees. The baseline of Patrick's mindful practice is meditation. I was a huge skeptic from when I first learned about meditation and mindfulness. I didn't understand why I might benefit from it. I didn't understand what the deal was with it. I, I just kind of had this aversion to anything that seemed a little woo-woo or spiritual or I just don't get it. And so I resisted it for a long time, but the way that a friend framed it for me, that really changed everything for me, was he compared it to exercising for your mind. And I had clearly benefited from my experience exercising. Like I know that every time I go to the gym, every time I exercise, I feel better. My body feels better. My mind is clearer too. There's clear benefits between that. It's the nature of our minds to wander. And so coming back again to this idea of using our attention wisely, using our attention for the things that matter most to us and the things that we care about most, that's why meditation is a really important practice of mind because it helps me to cultivate this awareness of when my mind has wandered, when I've gone off into you know some place that I didn't intend to go, And that's just another opportunity to begin again and start back on the things that I want to be spending my time on. So it's, it's living each day with a bit more awareness of what you want to do, setting those intentions of, all right, here's what's most important for me today because I know that these are the things that I care about most. And from there, take an action on it, noticing when the, when the mind inevitably wanders, because it will, and then just coming back Coming back, coming back. The question is now, how do I start? First, get an app of some kind to help guide you on the process. Second, get clear on your why, your reason for being interested in trying meditation. Third, establish some sort of consistent time. Uh, and then also fourth, have 
keep it the same place as well. But is it realistic to practice mindfulness when life is happening around you? Job, family and social life? It's actually most important for people who have a lot of things on their plate to practice mindfulness in some way. When you have a lot on your plate, you tend to the natural tendency is to get into this kind of frantic mindset where you're always on edge, you're always on the run, you're really reactive to the things in your environment, just kind of going with the flow as, as best as you can, kind of barely hanging it, holding it together. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But an alternative way to go about that is to really step into each thing you're doing one thing at a time. I've, I've heard from people I've worked with, um, one, one's coming to example who's a working mother and um, she was a part of a mindfulness course that I created and she realized that this time sit sitting in meditation was the only time she had given truly to herself in the last couple of years since her child had been born. And to, to have that realization, I think she actually kind of broke into tears in the moment when she realized like, wow, I haven't been caring for myself in this way. And, and when I'm not caring for myself well, then I have left less to give to my work. I have less to give to my child, to my husband. And so this idea that if we're so busy, we can't have, we don't have time to, to practice mindfulness. Well, I think it's actually, it's actually the opposite. If, if we're so busy, we need to practice that much more. Thank you very much, Lisa, uh, for this piece. But I have it out. How is your experience with living mindfully? Yeah, I think it depends on which day uh, we are talking about. Um, what helps me to actually be mindful or sometimes actually taking the mind out of things is doing yoga. Um, I really enjoy the combination of working out and having at the same time someone talking to me, remembering how to breathe and just for one hour or 90 minutes someone chatting me up and uh, I don't have to think about my work or university. So um, that is actually a really good moment to take a break. And that is also a very uh, important thing that we have uh, to, to do, not only to clear our mind, but also it has very good health effects to clear our mind. One or two. Definitely, right. especially because afterwards I feel like I can look at things differently um, and just taking a break of my mind twisting and turning. You are listening to Future Forward Aarhus on Studenterhus Radio. This is it for today's show. We have talked to Alan Masson about volunteer work in Denmark, explored the Danish approach to the labor market and talked about what it means to live mindfully. Today's show was co-hosted by me, Rocio Valderrabano, and me, Lisa Urebauer. Our technical editor is Karis Husted. Our jingle was mixed by Xiao Liang with music by Simon Matthewson. We'll talk to you in the future. This is the Future Forward Aarhus podcast, where we're exploring tomorrow, today, on the radio. Catch us live Wednesdays at 6 p.m. on Student Aarhus Radio. radio.